beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Lord, we thank you this morning, Lord. We thank you that you're here with us, Lord. You've been ministering to us. Your still small voice has been speaking to us throughout this week, Lord. And uh, Lord, now we ask that you'd be blessed with our worship, Lord, that you would be honored with our praise. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd work in our hearts, Lord, that this morning your word would find good soil in which it could bear much fruit. Uh, Lord, for any of us this morning, Lord, if we'll be convicted, Lord, if there'll be uh, things that we realize we've been doing wrong, Lord, we pray that it will be the conviction that leads to repentance, Lord, and not the condemnation of the devil. Lord, we pray that you'd strengthen us, Lord, strengthen us to do your word and be about your business. And Father, we do. We, we pray for those who are in the middle of the storms of this life, God. We pray that you'd be encouraging them, Lord, loving on them. And Lord, that you'd strengthen us to encourage them and love on them as well. Uh, we thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we dive in here, it's so important to mention that we're blessed as a church to have many of you that you've built your lives, you've built your homes on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And different storms of life, they've come, you've been hit with different storms in life, and yet you're still standing strong. There are many people within the church, they've gone through the storms of a spouse passing away, the storms of a child passing away. Storms of a miscarriage, the storms of a stillbirth, the storms of cancer and tumors, the storms of so much difficulty, and yet many of you are still standing here today. And it is a result of building your homes, building your lives upon the rock. And it's a blessing to me, it's a joy, it's a love for me and my family and to so many others within the body of Christ. That those who hear these sayings and do them, we can and we will get through the great storms in this life. It reminds me of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. If we truly believe and trust in Jesus Christ, and we live as we truly trust him, we will by no means be put to shame. Back to Luke 6, 46, Jesus, he just asks them a question. He says, why? Why do you do this? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? I'm sure some of us, if we're honest, we've either been on the receiving end of this type of conversation or the dishing out end of this type of conversation. You say that you love me, but you never do fill in the blank. You never take me out, you never say that I'm pretty, you never spend time with the family, you don't come over for dinner, you don't answer my phone call, but you always say that you love me. Why don't you show me? Or the other side, right? If you really love me, you would put the toilet seat down when you're done, right? 
Or you'd help me with the dishes. Or you, we would go out. Or you'd go with me fishing. Or whatever your, your sentence is there. And here Jesus has a similar warning. Just because we label ourselves as Christians does not mean that we actually are a Christian. Just because we say we're going to heaven does not actually mean that our citizenship may be in heaven. Just because we attend church and attend church regularly does not mean that Jesus is at the center of your life. John Trapp, he says this, There are those that speak like angels and yet live like devils, that have Jacob's smooth tongue but Esau's rough hands. 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you, including yourself. It says, He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, speaking of Jesus, is righteous. Again, friends and family, it's not about what we say. It's not even about our religious attendance. It's what we are practicing. It is who we are obeying that will determine who our Lord and Master and eternal home is. What are you building for the kingdom of heaven? What are you building and pouring into that's going to outlive you in this life and in the next? At our church, we're blessed with many different businessmen, very, lots of different people, different jobs. But we also have a lot of CPAs and CFOs and people that know bank and finance. And I have a question for you. If I simply declare I am wealthy, I am wealthy, I am so wealthy... Will my bank account change at all? Uh, another question for you. Will my bank account change if I decide to start visiting my bank once a week? I'm going to start going twice a week to my branch, right? Three times a week, I'm going to start going to the bank. I'm going to know every teller by name. I'm going to know where the free coffee is, where the bathrooms are. I'm going to know the whole layout of that place. Will my bank account actually change? Not at all, because what affects my bank account is my actions outside of the bank. The way I practice my life is going to dictate my balance far more than what I say about the bank or say about my balance or my bank attendance. And the same is true about going to heaven, believing in Jesus Christ, and having him as the Lord of your life. James chapter 2, verse 19, James, he's bold. He says, you believe there's one God and you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons, they have a better theology than most. They believe there's one God. However, they don't have the saving faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord in order to save them. Scripture puts it this way. Faith without works is dead. We can say we trust Jesus, but if our lives don't reveal that we're trusting Jesus by practicing his word, why would you call him Lord, Lord? And Jesus, he's so simple. He's so sweet. He's just saying, why? Why do you call me boss and you never obey me? Why do you call me Lord and you never listen to me? In Romans 6.16, it says this, do you not know? That to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. We can say that we're Christians, but if we're always obeying and going back to the bottle or going back to drugs or going back to gossip, going back to pornography, going back to sin 
our master is not Jesus Christ. Our master is the enemy, the author of lies, the one who's come to steal and kill and destroy. But if we're obeying God's word leading to righteousness, then we'll have life and that abundantly. It's been said, change your name or change your conduct. You already know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You've come to church this morning. Have you ever been around so many happy people, so many smiley people? Have you ever been to a place where that many people said hi to you before you sat down? You, you know he's the way. You know he's the truth. You know he's the life. How about you just start obeying him? How about we just start trusting his word as if it's the very breath of God and the very word of God and put him to the test? Why call him Lord and not obey him? Just start obeying him. That's the heart of the Lord. It's not for us to come this morning and say, you know what? I'm not obeying the Bible. Peace. I'm going to stop being a Christian. I'm just going to go off and go into darkness. That's not the heart of Christ. That's not the heart of your pastor or the heart of this ministry. The heart is that you'd humble yourself and say, all right, Lord, I trust you. Let's try this out. Romans 2.13 says, it's not the hearers of the law that are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law that will be justified. It is he who hears the Bible but obeys the Bible. Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. As we mentioned earlier, James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And that's probably the greatest difficulty is we are pretty bad at realizing where we really are at. And it's, it's funny to me when it comes to guys and girls. A guy, right, we could be 50 pounds overweight, 100 pounds overweight, and we look in the mirror and go, hey, looking pretty good today, right? <laughs> looking pretty great. A lady, she could be, again, the thinnest she's ever been, the most beautiful she's ever been, and she thinks she looks absolutely terrible. But it's even worse with our spiritual state. The Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? We are prone to deceiving ourselves and truly where we are at spiritually. That's why God's word, it tells us, is a mirror. It shows us who we really are. Just how selfish and sinful and self-centered we really are. And when God's word shows us who we are, it's better to humble ourselves Ask Christ to forgive us and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to be the men and be the women he's called us to be. Jesus gives this analogy for the man, for the woman that not only reads and hears God's word, but obeys it. It's found there in verse 48. He says, he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently, against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. I'm sure many of you used the word vehemently this week, but for those of us that didn't, that word means burst out against that house. If you've ever seen a YouTube video of a dam breaking and just water exploding out, that's the word being used here. There's that famous picture of a lighthouse and you see the, the, the man running the lighthouse in the little um, balcony, and you see this huge wave crashing against it. That's the idea here. The flood rose, the stream beat against that house, and yet it could not shake it. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. We need to 
dig deep. And if we're honest, is digging deep easy work? Right? We live here in Miami. If you start digging deep, how much would someone have to pay you to dig a six-foot hole in their yard, right? You get six inches down and you hit coral, that's it. If we're honest, some of us, we don't like doing a certain task in our house, so we just invite a bunch of our friends to do it, and we pay them with food, right? If you don't think so, I'll I'll, I'll tell you right now, right? A Christmas tree lighting party, right? Maybe you don't really like decorating the tree, so what do you do? You bring your friends that love Christmas, and you feed them cookies and milk, and you have them do it for you. Or the famous house painting party, right? Hey, let's have a party and let's all paint my house, right? And we do these things to have fun and enjoy. Or the all too familiar, hey, why don't you come help me move and I'll pay you in pizza party. And if you own a pickup truck, you're probably twice as likely to be invited to these types of parties. How many of us would have the audacity, unless it's it's family or really close friends, to have a ditch digging party? Hey, you want to come over to my house? I have to dig several six-foot holes. I'm putting a pool in my backyard, and I need some help digging it out. It's hard work. It's hard labor. It is extremely difficult, and it takes time. And many of us physically, we just can't handle it anymore. But the good news, the great news is that spiritually, any of us can start doing it today. Any of us, no matter how bad your back is, no matter how healthy you are, spiritually you can start digging deep today. All you have to do is start taking in God's word, but actually obeying it. The bad news is just because in the past you've had this foundation of hearing God's word and being obedient, you can't just run with that for the rest of your life. That foundation, if it's not met with more of God's word and more of God's instruction and more obedience, will break down over time. And we can find ourselves on the verge of sin or in sin, and then that storm comes and wipes us out. Isaiah 28, 16, God says, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says there's no other foundation that can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. 1 Samuel 2.2 tells us no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. One of my favorite ones is in 2 Samuel 22, and this is David. And if there was ever a man that went through storms, it's David, right? I'm sure many of us, we have difficult family relationships. Maybe Thanksgiving's not your favorite time of year because it's difficult with your family. Some of you, you may have not the greatest in-laws. Maybe they're more like outlaws to you. But I don't know how many of us have had our father-in-law throw a spear at our head twice. This is what David has happened to him. Then he has his father-in-law take his wife and give her to another man. I don't know how many of us have this type of family dynamic. David later on has his own son form a coup against him to take over Israel and to take the throne away from him. And yet David's able to say in 2 Samuel 22 verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. 
In verse 32, he says, Who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? In verse 47, he says, The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. Again, he is the rock of our salvation no matter the storm we go through. 1 John 2.17 says, The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. One last key scripture on this is 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We can say we're a Christian. We can say we belong to him. We can say we're going to heaven when we die. But God actually knows those who belong to him. And here's the seal. If we say we belong to Jesus Christ, we are to be departing from iniquity. We're to be departing from sin. Sinning less and less and less. Jesus is the only true eternal rock and fortress. Compared to him, every other foundation is sinking sand. No other religion, no other good morals, no other choices is a true eternal rock like Jesus Christ and like our God. He is the only foundation that will get us through every storm in this life and the greatest storm at the end of our life that we don't think about too often. I think there's three pillars that are greatly lacking within the homes and the lives that we build, even as Christians. Three pillars that are lacking in our homes. The first pillar is biblical and loving confrontation. Biblical and loving confrontation. Did he just say the C word, right? No, 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 Zach, I'm an introvert. I don't do confrontation well. I don't do that. I don't do that. I just don't do that, right? Or maybe you say, hey, I'm the extrovert. I confront people in love. I just tell it like it is, and they always get mad at me. That's not the biblical standard. In Matthew 18, 15, it says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. It's not that you tell everyone else except him his fault. It's not that you tell all your friends his fault. It's not that you tell your mom his fault. It's not that you go on social media and you tell everybody his fault. It's not that you're passive aggressive against them. No, you lovingly go and you tell them, hey, this is what you did and this, this is, it hurt me. And we don't do it with a heart to pin them against the wall or to make them pay for their sins. We do it with a heart to gain back that brother or that sister especially in family, and especially in marriage. All right, Ladies, men do a lot of foolish things. So if he's been making some dumb decisions, all of a sudden do you think he's going to realize all the dumb decisions he's been making? You should know what you did. You should tell me what you did that I know you did that you haven't realized that you've done, right? No, lovingly tell him his fault between you and him alone. The second pillar that I think is greatly lacking in many Christian homes is biblical and loving forgiveness. Biblical and loving forgiveness. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Ephesians 
For many of us, we, we like Peter, the disciple Peter, because he's always putting his foot in his mouth and we can relate, right? But one time, Peter, he asked Jesus, hey, hey Jesus, how many times should I forgive a brother or sister that's sinned against me? I think Peter's trying to come off as if he's pretty spiritual or pretty holy. So then he tells Jesus seven times? Do I forgive someone seven times for the same situation? Is that good enough? What does Jesus reply? Seven times? No, seven times 70. That's, that's how many times you should forgive a brother or a sister for that same fault. Ephesians 4 verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The measure we are to forgive other people is the same measure in which Christ has forgiven us. He doesn't bring back up our past faults. He doesn't bring up things against us to put us down again or say, hey, I don't know if I could trust you ever again for this. He forgives us. He doesn't tell others about our mistake. Thank the Lord he doesn't do that. He forgives us and loves us. And we need more biblical forgiveness. More loving forgiveness. We are all going to get hurt in this life. In church and out of church. With our family and out of our family. It's going to happen. But are we lovingly and biblically forgiving others? Or are we labeling it? That's what we do now. We just label our bitterness. It's called church hurt. I'm bitter about it, and I'm just going to tell everybody about it. We've all been hurt by church. All of us, myself included. There's pastors I've appreciated and loved, and they don't reciprocate the love or appreciation, right? And they'll stab you in the back, and they'll do something bad. But now am I to not forgive them in the same measure Christ has forgiven me? With our own family members, are we forgiving others as Jesus Christ has forgiven us? The third one, which you guys are here at church, but it's biblical and loving church attendance. Biblical and loving church attendance within our homes. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Is time getting darker and darker and more and more evil? Or are things suddenly getting better and better? It keeps getting darker. It keeps getting more evil. And as we see the day approaching, our church attendance should be ramping up, not ramping down. Uh, they're, they're preparing it, right? There's the rhetoric already. COVID's back. COVID's back. Get the mask. Put everything back into order. The rhetoric is stirring once again. Are we going to attend church as Scripture tells us to? Uh, it doesn't make sense why some parents, at least in my mind, will take their kids out of church or stop the church attendance. We all got to be honest. There's going to be seasons in our kids' lives that they don't want to listen to us. What group of people do you want around them? Biblical and godly people that are going to give them biblical and godly counsel or a bunch of unbelievers that are going to tell them to follow their feelings, tell them you're not really a boy, you're not really a girl, and all the madness outside. May we be bringing our homes, our families to church 
over and over and over again because that's what Scripture has told us to do. The book of Proverbs also has a lot to say to men and to women on how to build their homes and how we destroy our homes. Let's turn to Proverbs 14, verse 1. Proverbs 14, verse 1. Again, we share this with the married couples, but it applies to married and single alike. Proverbs 14, verse 1. And ladies, I'll warn you, I try to be a gentleman, so we're going to go ladies first, and then we'll deal with the guys afterwards, right? But don't worry, we'll handle both people. We'll be honest and real and biblical with both men and women. Proverbs 14, verse 1, it says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. I encourage you to read Proverbs 31 later on, but one commentator says this, Note the foolish woman. Her idleness, waste, love of pleasure, lack of forethought and care. We see her house torn down in confusion. It would have been a sad result if this had been done by an enemy. But it is the doing, or rather undoing, of her own hands. Uh, again, what a sad state to see your home destroyed. And it's not an enemy that's come in. It's not another person that's come in. You've torn down your home on your own. Your own character. Your own undoing. So what does this foolish woman look like? Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 9.13. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. Proverbs 7, verse 11, she was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. Proverbs 11, verse 22, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. And finally, Proverbs 21, verse 9 and 19, better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Better to dwell in the wilderness, verse 19, than with a contentious and angry woman. That's why men like camping so much, right? Some men go camping with your wives and nobody will, will think otherwise. Who's the author of the book of Proverbs? Solomon. So for better or for worse, I'm not saying it's a good reason, but Solomon knew a lot of women. A lot of different women on the spectrum, right? He had over a thousand women he was romantically involved with. So he had, at most, right, a thousand mother-in-laws as well. He, he, he knew women. And notice here, it doesn't tell us the corner of a housetop or the wilderness is better than a contentious wife. He just says it's better than dwelling with a contentious woman. I'll, I'll take a moment here because it's been more and more difficult in the premaritals for the people getting married really with their own parents at times. It's not all the time, but at times. For all the Jesus disciple moms and mom-in-laws here, if you're not aiding your sons and your daughters in being obedient to the words of Jesus in Matthew 19, 5, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, then ladies, you're helping destroy the homes and the foundation of your children and their lives because they're not being obedient to the words of Jesus Christ. 
There's no doubt we want to jump in there and help our kids and fix all their problems. But if they don't learn how to problem solve with their best friend, with their one flesh, you're robbing them of their future and of their homes. Back to the rest of the ladies. I don't want to get all the moms mad at me. Back to the rest of the ladies and the wives. Ladies, what is the fruit of your life? If the fruit of your life is constantly being angry, clamorous, being noisily insistent, being contentious, which is constantly seeking to assert dominance over a man or over your own husband, you will be destroying your own home. Don't buy into the lies of culture today telling you the way that you're the best self, your best version is by being aggressive and loud and clamorous and destroying the other people and the other men around you. Wives, do you openly mock your husbands, joking around, labeling them as one of your children? You're destroying your home. Girls, are you mocking your dads and your brothers openly and publicly? You're destroying your own home. Are you loud and rebellious, lacking discretion, bringing out the privacy, the the private matters of family and friends and of your marriage, and now you're bringing it out into the public space for all to hear and all to know. You're talking with your mom about him, your friends about him. Then you are actively ripping your home apart brick by brick. This is what Scripture tells us. Matthew Henry, he says, Those cannot dwell in peace and happiness That cannot dwell in peace and love. Even those that are one flesh, if they're not in one spirit, there's no joy in their union. It is better to have no company than bad company. The wife of thy covenant is thy companion. And yet, if she be peevish and provoking, it is better to dwell in solitary wilderness, exposed to the wind and weather, than to be in company with her. A man may better enjoy God and himself in a wilderness than among quarrelsome relations. This is such a special and important point for those who are single here. There's something worse than being single for the rest of your life. It's being married to someone that's going to make your life miserable for the rest of your life. Or divorce you and destroy your children and destroy your home. And now a pain that you got to carry for the rest of your life is far worse than being single and following the Lord and serving the Lord for the rest of your life. If things are, right, spidey senses tingling in the engagement and in the dating process, put it on pause, let go of it, and wait on the Lord. We can turn to Proverbs 24 now for the men. Proverbs 24, verse 3 through 4. How does a man build his life? How does a man build his own home? Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. It says, through wisdom a house is built. And by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious And pleasant riches. Men, are you building your home or are you actively destroying it? Scripture tells us it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is understanding. The fear of the Lord is knowledge. Is your reverence and respect for God growing or is it diminishing? Are you fleeing and running from sin because you respect and love the Lord your God that much? Or are you just foolish, 
immature and lazy? Are you increasing in wisdom and understanding and knowledge? Or gentlemen, are you the poster boy for foolishness, childishness, stupidity, and wastefulness? We can build our homes or we can destroy it. And many of you are building virtual homes that do not exist. You cannot live in there. The rent's way too high, right? And it's wastefulness. It is a lie. And for the moms and dads here, you got to pay attention to what you're building if you allow your sons just hours and hours and hours of fake reality. You're setting them up for failure. Proverbs 14, verse 3, in the, fool, in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Proverbs 18, verse 6 and 7 tell us, a fool's lips enter into contention. And his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction. And his lips are the snare of his soul. But in Proverbs, 21, in Proverbs 12, 18, it tells us, There is one who speaks like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Men with the very same member, we can build the people up around us or we can cut them down, destroy them, cause contention, and create more and more problems. We can destroy our very own lives. Men, pay attention. Does your speech with your buddies build them up or is it constantly tearing them down, cutting them at the knees? I mention it every once in a while. Sarcasm is not a gift of the Spirit. Even though many of us, especially Hispanics, we're, we're naturals at sarcasm, right? Are we building people up? And especially for the husbands here. Are you building your wife up? Or are you destroying her? For, for the sons here, how do you talk to your mom? How do you talk to your sister? How do you talk to the sisters in the Lord here? Are you promoting health or are you cutting them down? Men, her pride quickly can lead us into contention and destruction. And we need to know, especially for the married men, however you treat your bride, however you treat yourself, you are doing a work to yourself and to the future of your life. Ephesians 5.28 says, Husbands ought to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church. Brothers, are you nourishing and cherishing your wife? Or are you just neglecting her? Cutting her down? You have such a low view of yourself, you try to knock her down and bring her down so you can feel better about yourself. Nourish her. Cherish her. If, men, if you're the reason you didn't go to the married couples retreat this year, repent and get ready for the next year. Because we need to nourish and cherish our wives. If you find yourself because of your bitterness and constantly cutting down your wife, if you find yourself at the end of your life in a hospital bed alone with no one there to clean that drool or to wipe your pamper, you've done your own job there, putting yourself alone and having to deal with whatever nurse you get helping you in there. Build up that woman. Ephesians 5 verse 3 and 4 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking 
nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Man, what's our speech like? Is our speech like a sailor or is our speech like a saint? Our speech ought to be like a saint. Do not allow the cultural norms of today allow your mouth to be filthy and gross. Don't allow coarse jesting, sexual innuendos, dirty jokes be a part of who you are. Bad words be a part of who you are because you are a saint if you're going to heaven. Let it not even be named among you. Luke 6.31 says, Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. We enjoy it when people build us up, when people encourage us. When someone says, hey, man, you look like you've been hitting the gym. What happens all of a sudden, right? You start feeling better about yourself right away. Hey, you're looking beautiful, honey. Did you, what's going on? How are you doing, right? You're building her up just as you want people to do to you. That's what we ought to be doing for them. Another great problem is self-confidence, foolishness, and pride. Proverbs 12, 15, and 16. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. Proverbs 14, 16, and 17. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. Proverbs 18, 2. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. Proverbs 28, 26, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Guys, we got to stop trusting ourselves so much. We do a lot of dumb things. We are really foolish. And if we think we're got it all together and we're just confident in our own decision making, you will fall and crumble. Each of us, no matter our age, we need counsel in our lives. And we should humble ourselves to listen to wise counsel. Old guys in the Bible have done a lot of dumb things. You look at Abraham with Sarah. He did a lot of dumb things at 80 years old, right? Hey, honey, we're going to Egypt. The king, usually he kills people with beautiful women so he can marry them. So, honey, you say that we're brother and sister. He'll take you and I'll be okay. I, Abraham, I see how that benefits you, but how, how, what about me, right? There's a lot of old men that have done foolish things in Scripture. All of us, we need a group of counselors that we bounce things off of. Biblical men, godly men. Guys, we act like fools. Just pay attention anytime there's a campfire, how a group of men begin to act, right? We become kids in an instant. We become foolish. Let's not trust in our own heart and our own self-confidence. Let's put our trust in the Lord and have a group of men around us to build us up, call our bluffs, and tell it like it is. The key reason for foolishness in men, I believe, is in Jeremiah 4.22. The Lord says, My people are foolish because they have not known me. They are silly children. They have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. And men, maybe you're here and you're fearful because your wife has surpassed you in spiritual and biblical knowledge. 
Don't allow that to be the reason why you sort of take a step back and let her do her thing and you do your thing. The Lord can quickly mature you and grow you to the point where you can be spiritually stronger and lead your bride along in the things of the Lord. But all foolishness comes from not knowing Jesus Christ. Men, do you know him? Not do you know about him, not do you know of him. Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you on a first name basis? Are you wise to do evil? Do you have all sorts of ideas on how you can sin and do bad things? Or do you have a lot of wisdom on how you can do good things and bless other people? And for a marriage, I think this is one of the keys to realize, okay, how do I want my wife to treat me? How do I want my husband to treat me? How should I be treating my spouse? Ladies, how do you want your daughter-in-law to treat your son? Treat your husband in the same way. And for all the gentlemen here, all the husbands here, how do you want your son-in-law to treat your little princess, right? How do you want that guy to treat your, your daughter? Treat your wife the same way. I see it in my own kids. I have two boys. They're nine and five years old. And my sons, they don't do too well with bossy little girls. They don't do that well, right? They don't enjoy being bossed around or being nagged or manipulated. Every time it happens, I see them sort of like, leave me alone. Let me do my own thing. I'm not giving into that. And I see it from a corner, and I'll be honest. I'm a proud dad every time I see it, right? Yeah, that's my boys. I also have a daughter. She's six years old, and she doesn't do too well with crass and mean-spirited little boys. Little boys that start messing with her or joking around with her, tearing her down or try to bully her, make her feel worse about herself, she'll tell them off to their face. You're being a bully. Stop saying that. And every time, guess what? I'm a proud dad saying, yeah, that's my little girl. I think we need to treat our spouses the way we desire our future, our kids' future spouses treat them. Let's treat our spouse in the same way. Back to Luke 6, 49. This is the man that has heard and obeyed the word of God. Now he gives us the other side of it. The one who heard, the one who listens to Bible studies, but did nothing, is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and Immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And here's one of the difficult things about this. The digging of the foundation happens in secret. No one one sees you when you're digging that foundation into Jesus Christ. When you're reading God's word and obeying it, that's something you do in private. That's something you do alone with the Lord. But if your house is not built on the rock... Everyone will see the destruction of it. And if it is built on the rock, everyone will see you withstanding that storm. The the digging is in private, but the results are public. Everyone will see it. The way we deal with storms, small ones and big ones. And let's be honest, the older we get, do the storms get easier or more difficult? You're five years old. What was the storm for you today? The ice cream store was closed when we got there, right? Some of us were older and we're still saying, there's still a storm, man. That's still hard. McDonald's ice cream machines are always closed. What's up with that, right? But the storms, they ramp up 
And they ramp up and they ramp up and they ramp up. And the storms and trials of life will come. It's not a question of if. It is when. And they're promised to everyone. No matter who your master is. No matter what the foundation of your life is built upon, the storms will come, the rain will descend, the floods will raise, and the wind will blow and beat against your house. But the question is, will your house be standing afterwards? It's all dependent on what your house, what your life is built upon. Your life can be built upon morals, and maybe it'll withstand a few storms, but sooner or later it's going to slide on out. Your life may be built on a different religion, and you may get through a few storms, but sooner or later it's going to slide on out. Your life may be built on, we're talking about the marriage conference, right? That at least my Hispanic Cuban grandparents, they gave me the idea a marriage is built on love and respect. And if you have those two things, you'll get through everything. It'll get you to a certain part, but sooner or later, if it's not built on Jesus Christ, that house will come down. A storm, a certain size will come, and it will knock down that house. And from the outside, both houses look the same. Both houses are built. Both houses are beautiful. One house is even beachfront property, right? Right on the sand. But when the storms of life come, they'll try to shake that foundation and it will reveal what your life is made up of. Whether it's bankruptcy, right? You get fired from your job. They raise your mortgage. The interest rate goes up again. How am I going to handle this? Cancer, tumors, death, death of a spouse, death of a child. What's your response? The storms of life, they will come. David Guzik says, It's better that we test the foundation of our life now in this life rather than in the next. At our judgment before God, it's too late to change your destiny. My wife gave me this quote this week. Eternity is a long time To be wrong. It's a long time to be wrong in hell. For all of eternity. Because you said Lord, Lord. But you did not do the things in his word. Proverbs 10 verse 25 says. When the whirlwind passes by. The wicked is no more. But the righteous has an everlasting foundation. If we practice righteousness. Our foundation is everlasting to everlasting. There's only one foundation that gets us through this life into the next. And we don't think about that that often. Ten out of ten people die. Death is undefeated. And death is the greatest storm that every single one of us will go through. And and if we're being built up in Jesus Christ, we can get through that storm. Even for some of us, it's more difficult to think of our spouse or our kids dying instead of us. But yet, through Jesus Christ, we can get through that. And I just encourage you, don't guilt your spouse saying, hey, I got to die before you. I can't make it without you. That's not biblical whatsoever, right? I don't have control over that. Jesus gave me the day I was going to born and the day I was going to die. Don't manipulate your spouse like that. But Pilgrim's Progress, it paints death as a great river. A great river. And the only way into the celestial city, which is heaven, the only way into our homeland, the only way that we'll see our Lord and our Savior and our friend, the lover of our soul, is through the river of death. The main character in the book, his name is Christian, and he's told, Christian, you must pass through this river 
or else you cannot arrive at the gates of the city. The only way in is through the river. And he got to the river, but there is no bridge to go over. The river was very deep, and this river, the, the pilgrims were stunned. But there were two men on the other side that said, you must go through the river, or if not, you can't come to the gate. The pilgrims, they began asking, hey, is there any other way to the gate? Is there any other way to heaven besides going through this great river of death? And they said, yes, but there's only two that have entered that way, Enoch and Elijah. But since then, it is only until the last trumpet that sounds, there's no other entrance except through the great river of death. The pilgrims, especially Christian, began to be anxious in his mind. He looked that way, he looked this way, and there was no other way to escape the great river. Then they asked the men on the other side, what's the depth of this river? And the two men answered, you shall find it deeper or shallower as you believe in the king of the palace. You see, the more we trust in Jesus Christ, the smaller death really looks like. We see it as we sing sometimes. Death is just a doorway into everlasting life. But to those that have very little faith in Jesus Christ, those who have no faith in Jesus Christ, death looks like something that is just insurmountable. It will drown all of us. What's going to happen? How can we get through it? And that's the tough thing with life, with death. You can't ask someone, hey, how do you die? What is it like? How long do you see nothing? How long do you see Jesus? How long do you find out where you're going, right? There's no one to ask. It's the great step of faith that every single one of us will go through. Every single one of our homes is going to go through that great river of death. As Christian enters the river, he begins to panic and scream. And he says, the billows go over my head. All these waves go over me. The sorrows of death have totally compassed me so that I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. But his brother going through it with him, he says, be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom and it is good. These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you. But they are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind that which heretofore you've received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. You see, he's the great foundation, like we read in Luke 6:48, a man building a house who dug deep, laid a foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the, the word picture here is you have a house that is literally flooded over. And in the midst of this flood, there's the, the beating of the water and the beating of the wind, but it could not shake the house because it was founded on the rock. Friend, is your life founded on the rock of Jesus Christ? Because he is the only way to heaven. He's the only truth. He's the only life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Acts 20 verse 32 tell us, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I encourage you, press into God. Press into God's word because God himself, he wants to build you up. God himself wants to give you an inheritance with the saints and with those who are sanctified. 
Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Against the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 says, We are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, you're God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, but another builds on it. But let each one take heed on how he builds on it. You see, Jesus is so gracious to us. He says, hey, do you want to dig deep and build on the rock? I'll help you. I'll come alongside of you. Jesus, he comes next to us. He puts on a hard hat and he says, hey, I'll help you build your house. I'll help you dig deeper. I'm a fellow worker with you. That's the joy this morning. Any of us can start digging deep and making sure that our lives and our homes are truly founded on the rock. Any of us can start doing it. We just need to humble ourselves and start obeying God's word. Hey, if the worship team can come up and family, just three reminders. Remember, Jesus is the only solid foundation. Every other foundation compared to Jesus Christ is sinking sand. Remember, the storms in life will come. It's not a question of if. It is a question of when they will come. And lastly, the greatest storm will come. That great storm, that great tempest of death will come for each and every one of us. But only Jesus Christ can get us through it to see him face to face in the celestial city. So hey, let's all stand and we'll close in prayer and have the worship team close us up. If you need any prayer, if you have any questions, I encourage you. There'll be pastors up front here afterwards. They'd love nothing more than to be able to pray with you. So Lord, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord. You don't come in with a wrecking ball and just destroy our houses, Lord, if they're not being built on you. But Lord, you just ask us, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Lord, help us. Help us to humble ourselves, God, to see this great love, to see this great mercy, Lord, to see your great grace, God, that you desire to to bless us. You desire to bless our homes. You desire to bless our children and our children's children. Lord, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our stubbornness. And Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to humble ourselves and to do this life according to your will. So Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.